Again, and welcome to another episode of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Thank you so much to those who've shared the episode with their friends and family. You can email us at onlythepenitent at icloud.com and you can find our website at onlythepenitent.com. Today's episode is titled, What is the Church? With the crisis of corona still going on, many churches closed, we wanted to ask again in our podcast and discuss further, what is the body of Christ? How does the body of Christ live in the midst of crisis? The episode went a little bit long this this week, so we had to edit it down, so we're going to jump into the discussion in a moment. Beforehand, I want to read a verse from Psalm 87 that sort of sets up the conversation. The psalmist says in chapter, in chapter 87, verse 1, On the holy mount stands the city he, that is God, founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And so as John and I discuss the question, what is the church? The backdrop of our dialogue is rooted in St. Augustine's great work, The City of God, where he shows and demonstrates that the church is different than the world. The church is in the world, but not of the world, as the Apostle Paul says. But the church is supposed to be a different organism than that of secular or that of pagan society. And now, join us for today's episode. For me, the, the, the pastor that discipled me, I was discipled in the Methodist church. I, I had coffee and prayed with the pastor every Saturday for 17 years. That's a lot of, that's a lot of coffee and that's a lot of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our, our church did not believe we were the only church. We were this, it was a little country church and on a dirt road. And we worshiped with the black Baptist church in our city. We worshiped with the charismatic church. We worshiped with the Lutheran church. We worship, I'm trying to think of them all. There was a Pentecostal church. There were at least a dozen churches in our community. And for the month of Easter, uh, we visited each other's congregations. The pastors would preach from the different pulpits at the different denominations. And then on Easter Sunday, all of the churches, except for the Roman Catholic Church, they were invited, but they never would come. Uh, that's not a knock against Rome. It's just saying all the denominations in our community came but Rome. Uh, on Easter Sunday, our entire, our entire city of churches, all of the body of Christ, went outside for a sunrise Easter service. And so there was an understanding in the community that I grew up in, in the community that I was discipled in, that the body of Christ was not just at Kenny's Little Methodist Church. The body of Christ was all of the church that professed Christ. So what we're, what, what we're saying here is, in this, in this podcast, we're exploring this question of how can you be a church if you don't fellowship with the rest of the church in your community? Because that's what we're commanded to do. 
we're supposed to do everything to preserve the unity, not to build up division. Right. Well, what were we, we talking about the last, um, and one of the, uh, some of the other episodes we've been talking about, like, well, it seems that the church is just like another business, right? Or another organization or like a social club or something, right? So when we, even if we don't say it explicitly, when that's sort of our implicit view of the church, it's like, well, why would we do what you're saying, Kenny? That sounds like a lot of work, right? You know, I want to go home, you know, and hang out and, you know, just watch some TV or something, right? So, I mean, is, is that sort of maybe the core thing is that we need this, we need a vision, we need knowledge of the church as the church, as the body of Christ, right? And then want, maybe if we can get that back and we can set aside these administrate this administrative view or this business view of the church, uh, maybe something like what you're saying would, would come about. Well, and I think that's what, that's what we're trying to explore is how do we get out of Corona? Because Corona has exposed the failings of the American church, right? Actually, of most of the church around the world. Corona ex- has exposed a lot of faithlessness, it's exposed a, uh, a lot that a lot. It's exposed the reality that a lot of men across the board have very little grit. Would that would that be appropriate to say? Christian uh, men have very little grit. Um, I think you're being very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's that's true. Well, what what does that mean? Like, wait, are you saying that there's something called a man? somehow different from say other human beings who aren't men (laughs) i'm I'm puzzled here well if you could uh (laughs) you could maybe elaborate for our audience because i I think this is probably they're probably very shocked too so so what john's joking about are you suggesting that a lot of the church has capitulated to the the false view of sexuality yeah, yeah, that um, there actually is no difference between men and women, right? The differences are superficial, right? The differences are like, well, you know, just, you know, like a couple body parts, let's say, to be polite. <laughs> and that's it. It's, it's interesting. That was one of the things Rome had going in its favor for so many years is they've, they've opposed... Uh, succumbing to the spirit of Jezebel, right? And allowing women to be ordained. But now it looks like they're on the precipice of, of losing that as well. Yeah. I, it, it seems like it, right? That's what I hear from the con- more conservative voices inside of the Roman church is um, they're very worried. Um, but you got to remember, you know, there's one thing. So like if you ordain women, it's a very obvious way to tell that the distinction's totally gone, right? And that there's no difference, right? Um, and the fact that God became a man and not a woman just doesn't even matter. But I think um, culturally, most Roman Catholic churches in the West, they sort of view men and women as the same thing, right? Already, right? This has just been my general experience. Now, the, the, the pushback we're going to get is that a lot of, a lot of evangelicals believe that they should, 
they should fight the good fight by silently running through the motions each week, right? Doing the liturgy on Sunday, praying, and not addressing the issues you and I are addressing. That doesn't sit well with me, and I know it doesn't sit well with you. Well, I like your word grit or something. See, here's the thing. Like, we can go back to high school, right? Well, why do the women, why do the women like all the jocks, right? Well, because they show strength. They have grit, right? This is, these are the kind of men that women naturally flock to, right? Um, so, like, you could see it all throughout your life. So this grit, right, this strength, these leadership qualities that men are supposed to demonstrate – um, really in all of society, but we're more so here concerned with the church. Outside the church, I mean, you can do whatever you want, I suppose. Um, but in the church, they don't want to take that leadership role, right? The men are very feminized, right? And the women are becoming more masculine, right? They want to take those roles away from the men, right? Um, and in, in rare exceptions, well, maybe that works a little bit. But in most cases, it seems to be a failure. And, and then we, well, we look around, there's chaos, and we wonder why. When the church that I grew up in, the church that I was discipled in, for many years, I was there for a long time, I thought, well, I, the Methodist church as a whole is very corrupt. It's filled with homosexuality. It's filled with the spirit of Jezebel. It's fil- filled with a lot of people who are pro-abortion. And I thought, well, I I can live in a little bubble. I attended this little Methodist church. I was discipled there. I served there. The pastor asked me to preach many times. Uh, I I led Sunday school. I was very involved. And I thought, well, I I can just operate as a Christian in a little bubble there. And and for many years, we lived in a Christian bubble in the country at a little Methodist church. And then the great Pastor Poli died because he was in his mid-80s. He was getting up there in age. And he was replaced with a lesbian who is pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. And, I, and obviously I couldn't go there anymore. And sure. the question, and it was, it was great while I could live in that little bubble, but at a, but how many bubbles can we keep living on in our life? I, I, I jumped to another conservative church in Detroit, but another lesbian became in a position of authority and they closed. And this lesbian who is pro-abortion closed the church in Detroit that I was attending. So even though it was a conservative church with an evangelical minister, it didn't matter. Um, At what point do we as Christians stop living in these bubbles and start getting some grit and determination and speaking the truth and saying it's time for the church to come together and be the church and not allow the homosexuals the leftists, the social justice people tyrannize us. Right. Well, all the bubbles are bursting, right? Yes. Like there's really no bubble to be in. So, you know, like you, um, like you, because you, you believe so strongly in the spirit of unity, you would always say like, Oh, I've seen all these things, but you didn't want to raise a stir at a lot of these congregations. Right. right. Cause you didn't want to destroy that unity right but i think what you and i are are together realizing it's like well like what does unit what that's not the unity we're even talking about 
you know, because, um, you know, we're both very laid back in a sense. We're like, if we, you know, if we meet a lesbian in a coffee house, well, you know, we're not like some Christians who are like, oh, I can't talk to that lesbian. You know, it's just, she's just like any other person in the world. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, and a lot of times, you know, like we both used to live in an area where there were a lot of homosexuals. And a lot of times, you know, we're like, oh, wait, well, their company is actually preferable to a lot of crazy, awful Christians. Sure. Right? Who are really, sure. who are very cruel. Right. But when we're talking about in the church and the spirit of unity, it's like, well, the Bible tells us how we're supposed to live, right? And so it's one thing if you have a brother that's struggling with some sort of sexual sin, but it's another thing when someone's at the pulpit preaching homosexuality. It's another thing if they're preaching abortion. We're like, no, you're doing something different. What you're doing isn't Christianity. It's evil, right? You know? Um, and I think so that's why it's like, well, why? Yeah, like, why wouldn't you speak out against that, right? Um, like, what, well, like, what else are we supposed to do at this point? It's, it seems as though Corona has fast forward us to a place to where now all we can really do is speak out. We can no longer sit silent. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, well, and now we see also with the Black Lives Matter movement how strong the social justice elements are in the church, right? So we're sitting here thinking like, oh, well, before the face of God, all men are equal, right? You know, like, and in, in America, we have these awesome principles of equality that have come down to us through the Christian tradition. And now there's this force that's saying, no, 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 these particular, this particular group of people is superior. And we're like, well, no, that doesn't belong in the church. You know, we were against, you know, people, you and I, we were against it when they said that white people were superior. Like, that was horrible, the way a lot of Southerners... Um, churches treated the black people and wouldn't worship with them when they were believers. Right. And now they want to do it the other way around, right, where um, black people have this preferred status. And again, it's like, all right, well, out in the world, go, you know, live your life. You know, we can't tell everyone how to live their life. But in the church, you know, we should say like, well, no, wait a second. No, like in Christ, there's no distinction. Right. Right. <laughs> What what do we so we what do we do though when the ministers themselves of so many of these denominations they don't seem interested in getting together with each other like that has perplexed you and I for a long time I I don't know I mean I think what I was just saying about you know like you and I's experience hanging out in coffee houses where it's like, well, it's a lot easier to talk to non-Christians, to just have conversations and dialogue about any host of topics, right? Um, you're always talking about in the 90s how you would have a Buddhist, an atheist, two Christians, and so, like, a non-religious person having a lively conversation. Sure, like sure. That, right? Um, but in the church, it's like, think about a coffee hour it's really hard to like get people into these deep and profound conversations that we're trying to have. And I think that goes all the way up to the level of the lady who are supposed to be really learned men. Right. And it's like, well, the beginning of Western 
intellectual thought is the discourse, right? It goes back to Athens where we're going to have a dialogue and question what we're saying, right? Um, so when that's absent from the church, like, what are we going to expect? You know, and it's basically just, well, you have your creed, I have mine. Um, you know, hopefully we don't bump in each other too much. So we, we began this episode, you know, saying what is the church? And we, we focused a lot on the leadership the last 15 minutes. Let me redirect it to the body of Christ. And one of the reasons I, I believe so strongly in the church being the body of Christ is, A, that's how a family works really well. A family works when it's a family and not a meeting on Sunday. If all you do is meet with your children on Sunday, you're going to have a terrible family. Uh, a family works when there's regular meals together. There's right where you hang out with your parents in different situations, when you hang out with your uncles and cousins and friends and neighbors. A family works when it's a natural family and, and natural things are occurring. Paul, when he describes the body of Christ, he describes it as a family. He, he, he says, let the older women teach the younger women, right? He, yeah. he, give, he gives us these excellent uh, uh, metaphors and sim symbolic. Uh, what am I looking here for? Symbolism that the body of Christ is, the, is very similar or the same in substance as a, as a family unit. Yet, when we look at the church and we say, well, what is the church? Corona has made the church seem like it's something you do on Sunday that can be closed. But if, if we say the church is a family, then you can't close a family. A family can't stop seeing each other. When Corona comes along, you don't stop seeing your wife. You don't stop seeing your children. You don't stop having dinner together. So what has been so offensive to me is the body of Christ literally said, we're closed. They put, a, they put a closed sign on the door. And as I look at that, I think, well, that can't be the body of Christ because you can't close the body of Christ. Yeah, that's right. So how do we, how do we say this in a delicate manner without being too overly offensive? The church needs to look, sort of reinspect itself and question what what are you doing well what i mean you always talk about the like the reformation principle you know we're supposed to always be reforming yes right and i think that's um so much of what's going on is that we seem to have forgotten all like a lot of good biblical principles, a lot of good early Christian principles and like the reformation sort of gone out the window, even in very reformed churches where it's like, we just all have to stand back and be like, Hey guys, like we're constantly doing stuff wrong because we're sinners. So we have to, you know, examine ourselves, you know, both as individuals and as communities and say, okay, well, where do we go from here? Right. And I think that's why we're we've been running up against a lot of, you know, churchmen um, and a lot of fellow Christians who are just like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And it's 
and it's just, you know, it's not, you know, everything is not fine. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever fine, right? That's the point of always reforming. It's like, no, it's never fine. We're always falling short, you know, so let's, let's try it again, right? Church is not a Sunday meeting. Church is a living, breathing body of Christ that Sunday is, is merely the, the climax of the week in which the body of Christ has lived together, has worked together, has ate together. But sadly, right. but sadly, most Christians in America have not experienced that in the last 10 years. We had, we had Richard, we had uh, Pastor Richard Dalton on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the charismatic renewal. What always fascinated me about the charismatic renewal, which was before my time, before I was born, was that the church became a seven-day-a-week affair. The church became brothers and sisters eating dinner at each other's houses, singing hymns at each other's houses. And then Sunday morning became the climax of the whole week. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe part of it is we've lost this vision of like what, what the gospels are telling us. It's like, there's this thing called the world, right? That sort of derives itself from man. And it's this big totality of things, right? And as a whole, generally it's opposed to God. So we, as Christians, we have to live in that, this big totality of things of it. We're supposed to be of the kingdom, right? Paul, Paul so says, Paul says be in the world, but not of the world. Right, exactly. So there's a lot of overlapping. And sure, we as Christians, you know, we want to make the world more Christian. You know, we want to, um, you know, this was maybe the whole point of like, say, the Middle Ages. It's like, well, how do we make make a Christian world or something? But obviously, we're in a different place. Like we don't like the world is very hostile to Christianity more so than it has been, you know, in, in a very long time. And so we have to think now, okay, well, I'm part of this thing called the kingdom of God. What, what does that mean? You know, what does this mean that I'm, the, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God or the city of God, right? What do these things well, mean? Well, you're, you're, you're alluding to Augustine. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, right, right. And he got that from the Psalms, right? Uh, from songs, you know. They have spoken of uh, thy, uh, how, how does it go, right? Um, oh, marvelous things have been said of you, O city of God, right? Sure. And so Augustine turns this one verse into a 1,200-page book. It's excellent. <laughs> and his main thesis is that the, the church is a distinct entity. Yeah, exactly, right. Um the world as we know it, right, as it's gone on for the last 6,000 years, eventually it's going to come to an end. And there's going to be a, a, quote, new world. And the city of God is, is going to be that new world, more or less, right? Um, there's some mystery at the end of time where there's not going to be this crazy dichotomy, right, that we have now with all the overlapping but now we have to constantly be thinking like, okay, well, I'm part of the city of God, but I'm in the world. What do all these things mean? You know? So for the Christian who's never experienced 
the church being a living, breathing body of Christ, fellowship, koinonia, seven days a week, what can they do if, if their church is closed? What can they do if their church is open once a week and they wear masks and gloves? What, what do we as Christians do at this point? Well, I, I, you know, you're making me think of the story of Elijah, right? He says, oh, they've killed all the prophets and I'm the only one left. Everybody is worshiping Baal, right? And, and God says to him, he's like, no, no, I've left 7,000, right? And so that is to say that even if you're alone, you're still part of this mystical body of Christ, right? So the goal seems to be like, well, how do I find other Christians that, you know, want to be part of this mystical body of Christ, right? Who want to like get to the heart of that mystery, you know? For a lot, um, for a lot of Americans hanging out with their fellow Christians two, three days a week, that that maybe makes them a little bit scared. Well, I, I don't know if that should, I, well, I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, at first maybe you're, I mean, is Elijah seems sort of scared, right? <laughs> you know, he says, it's just me. I'm all alone. You know, he thinks he's the only Christian on the entire planet and God says, Oh, it's not so. Right. So like when you go and then you realize like, Oh, like, you know, well, really, I should be afraid of God because right? if I don't, if I'm not actively trying to figure all this out, maybe something worse will happen to me. The, fe- the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says the psalm, says the uh, proverb. Right. As, as, yeah. As well as I believe it says it in the Psalms, too. <laughs> well, Elijah, right before that happens, right, when he's all alone, that's when he calls down the fire from heaven. Right, and it rains on the priests of of the pagan gods and burns them to a crisp. Right, um, so that's when you see, like, oh, that's the power of God. Right, it's like, you know, God usually doesn't act this way, but He can rain fire from from the sky. You know, um, He can do anything He wants, really. Right, so, um, I mean, it's tough. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean. Most of us don't see those kind of wonders, so it's really hard for us. But you just keep per- persevering, right? Um, and know that God will renew the church. Maybe that's the main reason. Like everything we're saying, you know, we're just trying to follow the word of God, right? But ultimately, it's God that's going to renew the church. It's not our individual actions or the individual actions of any listener. Those are contributing to the work, but God's ultimately doing the work, right? Absolutely. So that's maybe the, 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 the main reason not to be afraid or dismayed, right? There's a good biblical word, right? Dismay. Like, don't be dismayed because, like, well, ultimately, like, it's going to come back together, right? And we're going to – and everyone's going to say, oh, wow, you know? I, I, I think you bring up a good point. So many people right now have been a little bit uh, – upset or sad or discouraged because of the things that are going around. Sometimes my tone of voice, because I'm speaking with a serious tone, it it might be easy for people to mistake me and think I'm actually discouraged when it's actually the exact opposite. In fact, not only am I not discouraged, I'm more excited because we're living in this great time of crisis I have all the more 
to worship God and know that he's in control. I think of, I think of first Peter, it says, um, Peter says, uh, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My hope is not in the government saving me. My hope is not in uh, beating the communists or the socialists. My hope is in Christ. It doesn't matter what's going on in the secular world, as Augustine says. What matters is what's going on within the Christian world, within the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Elijah story is really good because it shows you like, oh, it looked like the church was going to be annihilated, right? Like, this happens a lot in history, where it's like, oh, the church is done. Like, there is no more church. It's gone, right? Um, and it's like, well, no, God says, no, it's not so. It's um, it's kind of like Tolkien, you know, J.R. Tolkien. His whole note, he has this notion of, like, a you catastrophe, or like a good catastrophe. So think about, like, in the Lord of the Rings movies, everything is falling apart and being destroyed and the bad guys are about to lose, you know, or the, excuse me, the good guys are about to lose and there's no hope. And then like Gandalf like rides in on a horse, you know, and with a big army and, and destroys the forces of evil. Right. So like what Tolkien's trying to say there is yes. Like that's what reality is like. That's what the history of the church is like. You know, it's this, it's like, oh, everything's chaotic and catastrophic, and oh no, all is lost. But then the good guys win, and you're like, oh wait, did we just win? It's like, yeah, the good guys always win. That's you know? that, that's the awesome thing about the Bible is is the Book of Revelations. It shows us, hey, we already won. The victory is already before us. That, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, like we already won. You know, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Right. <laughs> He already won, right? Um, we don't have, I guess. And so since we don't believe God lives, like God's not bound by time. Like us, we're temporal creatures. We're bound by time. God lives outside of time. So because we know God has already shown us the future, he's won the battle. The enemy has been bound. Um, we don't have to live in a spirit of defeatism. We don't have to live in a spirit of fear. We can live in a spirit of joy. Of, yeah. of, of the hope that the victory has been won. So in the face of Corona, with all of these churches closing, with many people being found to be faithless, we don't have to be dismayed. We can look to Christ and know that he is active in, and he's involved in all this. His spirit is moving on the face of the earth. And there's a purpose to why all of this is happening. Yeah, it's um, it's a story, right? Well, that's a, how much of the Bible is just a story, right? Ma the majority of it, right? Like seventy-five percent of it is a s story. Like the story didn't end on you know after the resurrection or after you know the the end of the Book of Acts or something. It wasn't like, all right, guys, all right, that's a wrap. We'll meet up here <laughs> at the the end of the world. Okay, everyone, just sort of hang in there. You know, like maybe have a coffee, you know, uh, go have a cigarette and then we'll uh, we'll meet up here. It's not like that. It's like, no, the story is still going on. Right. We're part That's of right. It. That's right. You know, um, that makes life really interesting if you think that way. 
right? Thank you everyone it's- for joining us, John. Thank you again. As always, you can email us at only the penitent at iCloud.com. Until next time, may God bless you.